why they didn't want to talk to us. Because to me, it seemed very, very important. And they both looked at me, man, and they said, listen, man, sit down. We're going we're gonna to explain it to you to, to make you stop asking this question again. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Freedom Feature. I'm your host, Barry Bussey. With me today, I have no stranger to this program, Tom Morazzo, who's written an amazing book, and I'm just going to show you the cover of it right here, The People's Emergency Act, Freedom Convoy 2022. Tom, it's great to have you on the program to talk about this amazing book that you have just published this week. And I encourage all of our viewers to make sure you hop over there to Amazon and make sure you secure a copy uh, before they're all gone. Man, I tell you what, I really enjoyed uh, going through it. I, I have to say that I read the beginning, I skimmed through the middle, and I read the last, uh, but I'm looking forward to devouring the whole thing. Well done, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It, it was a, a very long ordeal, as you know. Mm. Yeah, very difficult yes, to do, I but I'm imagine. very happy with the book. Yes, I'm very proud of the book. <clears throat> you know, the, the thing that I found so amazing about it is the fact that it's like you're right there. Like, I mean, um, I enjoyed very much your, uh, you know, getting the call from a friend of a friend and then next thing mm -hmm. you know, you're into the thick battle of uh, the trucker convoy in Ottawa. And mm -hmm. uh, the reader is able to just go right along with you. And I, for, for those who have not been there at the Freedom Convoy, uh, having this um, uh, perspective, and when you combine that with the other books that are coming out, and now there's a plethora of books. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we got uh, Tamara Leach's book, which is great. Uh, Andrew Lawton, your book, and eventually my book will be out, but which is more of a stepping back and looking at the the, the socio-political side of things. But, but, but your book just gets us right in there into the heart of the action. And um, it must yeah. have been quite the ordeal just to even relive everything. Well, it's funny because I feel like I've, relive the convoy or been through the convoy three times, you know, and once was <laughs> at the convoy, then going wow. in, sitting in the audience and testifying at the public order emergency commission. So I was there for the entire seven and a half weeks and then writing the book. Right. And so I feel like I've been through this convoy three times and, you know, even wow. going through it three times, there was so much activity. I, I, I don't even know probably half of the things that happened during the convoy in terms of, you know, the people's personal experience on the ground, you know, people that were there. I very frequently, I meet people that say, Hey, I was there. I went for a day or I went for a week or I was there for the entire time. I just didn't get to interact with people on the streets as much as I, I wish. And I think that's a big uh, regret that I have, in, you know, going to the convoy, I was there in the background, but I wasn't there out on the streets enjoying it as much as uh, a lot of the other people were. I did get out, but just not often enough. Right. You know, when you look at uh, how things can happen in a person's life and in your situation, you were uh, just making pancakes with your daughter, I believe it was, right? Yes. And uh, suddenly you get a call. Can you just uh, tell the audience 
just a little bit about that. Yeah, so I, I literally, I was, uh, I was in my pajamas. Me and my daughter, we were making pancakes. We had just finished eating. And I got a, a call from a friend of mine who I had just recently met a few weeks prior. And, uh, you know, she was a like-minded person, but when we met, we were actually supposed to talk about cryptocurrencies because I didn't know anything about it. And I wanted to learn from somebody who had been doing it, but right. we spent more time talking about, you know, things going on in Canada than we did actually crypto. So it was just a nice meeting that I had with somebody and we got to know each other's background and that's how she knew I was a retired military officer. Mm. So I didn't know, I had never heard of Canada unity. I didn't know she was affiliated with Canada Unity, but she called me to see if I would take a phone call with James Botter and his wife, Sandy. So mm -hmm. I said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll take the call, thinking, you know, I can give you a little bit of pointers in terms of, you know, sustainment and, and stuff like that, because you're going to be there for a while, is what I believed. Mm -hmm. I thought they were going to be there for a while, not me. Um, right. but it, it became kind of, you know, the, the call was about 15 minutes maybe. And right. James asked me if I would, if I was in a position that I could just come to Ottawa and help. And I said, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. And, um, hopped in my car and three hours later I was there right in the middle of the Arc hotel. And wow. by the way, last week, last week for the first day of Chris and Tamara's trial that night, um, we stayed at the Ark Hotel. We rented a room at the Ark. Okay. Um, so it had been a long time since I'd been back there, uh, since the convoy, mm. but I stayed at, I actually slept in a room there, um, a week ago, actually, uh, yeah, a week ago today. Okay. All right. So, yeah. Very and, surreal. And, oh, I, I can only imagine like, e even when I've been up, uh, to Ottawa after the convoy. It was just kind of like walking the streets. It's just, um, you know, you just have these flashes of people walking by you. First, first of all, it was a lot warmer, but uh, just, you know, um, the bitter cold of that, uh, that time of the year. And I mean, who we have to recognize, and I think those who are outside of Canada who may be watching this program today, uh, you have to realize that uh, Canadians generally do not uh, protest in the winter. And there's a very good reason for it. And minus 25 Celsius is one good reason. And to have such a large group of people come up to Ottawa at that time of the year, uh, to me, it just spoke volumes of just how passionate people were, but just how suppressed they were. And this was kind of like an amazing uh, relief valve and that you, you described there in, in a big way. Well, one of the, I, I'm just going to walk through just a wee little bit uh, on your book there. I, I, with your military training, you were concerned, of course, about, mm -hmm. uh, as you term it, situational awareness. And yes. that was extremely important for the group. And I think your skills in the military, which you have uh, rightly pointed out uh, so often throughout the book. I mean, this was a, a, a nonviolent, peaceful protest, and you weren't there strategizing, as it were, any kind of a battle. But mm -hmm. the main focus, as you point out, is just trying to get the government to come and talk. Yeah, it's shocking. 
it's um i this is this is the number one thing that i often reflect on and i remember when i was at the public order emergency commission and i even did a monologue on this because i felt so strongly about it on my youtube channel and i was i was trying to explain to people um how i was feeling because i was getting a lot of messages in in public and poor keith wilson his he was getting voicemails after voicemails after voicemails um mm. you know the public the public and, and myself i'm not a lawyer right and mm -hmm. and so i don't have a very sophisticated view of the law i mean i'm i'm learning uh, day by day but everybody was frustrated and everybody wanted to know when are you going to ask the government why didn't you just talk to them and mm. so I, I had that same question and I kept saying to, to Keith and Brendan, like, okay, so when this guy goes up, are you going to ask him why they didn't want to talk to us? Because to me, it seemed very, very important. And they both looked at me, man, and they said, listen, man, sit down. We're going to, we're going to explain it to you to, to make you stop asking this question again. They said, it's not relevant. I said, what do you mean? It's not relevant. And he said, like, it's relevant to you because you're emotionally attached to the idea that they didn't talk to you. And that is correct. Mm. But in terms of invocating the emergencies act, it's irrelevant to the case that, that Brandon Miller was trying to, to, I can't say win, but trying to convey because mm. it's emotional to us. It's shocking to us. And even the OPP testified to the fact that they believed that the government would come out and talk to us mm -hmm. and they didn't, nobody did, nobody ever wanted to talk to us unless they, they got that, they boxed themselves into a corner and it was only at the municipal level. Mm. You know, it was, it's incredible. Nobody, the highest ranking person who ever spoke to me on a day to day, uh, was an Ottawa police sergeant. The next highest level, I was in two meetings with an inspector mm -hmm. and the highest ranking unelected government official was the city manager, uh, Steve Kanalakis. And that is the highest ranking people we ever spoke to. Tamara Leach never spoke to the mayor of Ottawa. Nobody spoke to any elected mm. official that had any power or of, was a, of any consequence to do what we wanted or not, I shouldn't say do what we wanted, but at least hear us in, in hear the grievances that we went to Ottawa to express. Nobody, nobody wanted to talk to us, not even the conservatives. You know, yeah. Which is something that is very much an issue <laughs> and at that time. I, I remember very, very clearly, you look at all of the politicians at the time they were, uh, like just trying to figure out which way the wind was blowing as to how they yes. were going to support. Mm -hmm. You know, when you, as you point out in in the book, you were you were puzzled at the beginning, right? When when this whole uh, convoy was going on, you're trying to figure out, okay, so so what's happening here? What what is the purpose of of everyone coming together, and how how do you communicate? Uh, to Canadians about what's happening because the mainstream media immediately, as you point out in the book, was lying about the uh, trucker convoy. What was it like there in the very beginning as you're trying to get this situational awareness, uh, trying to figure things out? What, what were the questions going through your mind? Have you ever watched Survivor? 
I sure have. The yeah. TV show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know how, you know how in the first day or two, everybody's so happy to meet each other and everyone's friendly. And yeah. within a, you know, the first episode, people are at each other's throats. I don't want to say that the convoy was like that. It it took much, much longer. I would say it took actually months longer for, for that to come to fruition. But I will say mm -hmm. that um, it was, it was chaos. Uh, it literally was chaos in the sense that nobody had ever done this. Nobody had any experience with this. And, you know, mm -hmm. I describe it in the book for me, it's like getting a battlefield promotion in a battle that you weren't participating in. Because remember, I came in two days after the convoy had already arrived in Ottawa. So it's like being deployed to the field in a military context, not knowing who your commanders are, not knowing who your own soldiers are, what equipment you have, where they are, what your capabilities are, and no mission statement mm -hmm. other than a very vague mission statement of and federal mandates. Mm -hmm. And so for me to try to come in there and try to piece it all together. Now, don't forget in, in this little analogy that I'm using, yes, I'm getting dropped into a key role, but I don't have command authority over anybody. I don't have legal or delegated authority to tell anyone right. what to do. Yeah. So now I feel like people are looking to me for some, some direction um, mm -hmm. as to, you know, what do we need to start really focusing on? And, and I think I had a pretty good understanding almost immediately where we needed to go or what we needed to do. But mm. it's, if you get people who disagree with that, you don't have the right to order people to do what you want them to do because they're all independent owner operators. They like to do things their own way. Uh, they're there for the right reasons, but you know, you've got to be delicate with the way you talk to people. You, mm -hmm. you know, I had to use every soft skill that I, I had available to me, uh, you know, in, in my entire lifetime to mm. get there and to try to, be reasonable, be measured, and, and convey a professionalism to what we were trying to do. And so I think that resonated with people in terms of, okay, we don't have a clearly defined leader. We have a group of leaders, but we need somebody to glue all this together. And I think that's really mm -hmm. what I was able to do was kind of glue a lot of it together not just me many other people you know keith and eva tamara chris like white blue color it didn't matter there were certain personalities in there that actually glued it all together uh mm. and then unfortunately there was some personalities that just couldn't couldn't make Mesh things happen somewhere. the way they should yeah. have yeah and and so it was challenging it was really challenging um one yeah. of the things I found interesting in, in your book, as you describe uh, just coming on there and trying to figure out what's happening, is that it, it appears that the uh, the OPS, the uh, Ottawa Police Services, and they had already figured out a map as to where trucks could park. Yes. And, <laughs> and, and if you listen to the mainstream media, why, you know, they just came in there and they were just a bunch of bullies and, uh, you know, all of the rest of it. And no, they were simply following directions, were they not, as to yes. where they could go? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's very interesting because uh, I had seen a video 
I'd say about six months ago, and I, I was surprised by it. I was actually quite surprised. Mm. It was a lot of the original truck captains, uh, people that were leading convoys out of their area. So, for example, a friend of mine, Leanne, she was from New Brunswick. And I saw, you know, people from all over the country in a Zoom call. I saw the recording. And in that video was one of the OPP officers that I had been dealing with. He was the OPP liaison officer. Now, I want to say this guy was outstanding. He was very professional. I write him up mm -hmm. about him in the book. Mm -hmm. But they were, you know, the OPP was involved in the convoy two weeks before the convoy even arrived um so mm -hmm. when i hear this narrative this this discussion and he, i remember sitting at the commission listening to them say we thought they'd be here for three days and it's like wait a minute you've got more than two brain cells to rub to together and and that would suggest to you that nobody drives from british columbia does the drive in the winter in a transport truck to stay for three days and then packs up and goes home i i can't comprehend where they they made these deductions other than to mm -hmm. say that those deductions were based on faulty assumptions and i would say gross incompetence um yeah you just don't yeah. drive from newfoundland yukon british columbia alberta to go there for three days in the dead of winter now sorry you know, they were involved in the planning <laughs> right from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, uh, that's one, like, I, I think as people get a chance to read your book, you, they'll have a, mm -hmm. a much richer understanding of, of the various dynamics that were at play and also to be able to step back and look at it and say, Hey, okay. So what we've been told, you know, in the mainstream media, and even when you go back now and you look at, uh, uh, you know, the various headlines. I mean, it's just so off the wall as to what was being portrayed and what was on the ground. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's, that's the beauty of this important book is to just recognize for everyone who has the opportunity. And I, again, I just put it up there for everyone to make sure you uh, get yourself a copy of this book so you can really understand what all was happening there? And uh, here, um, you know, Tom is not even a trucker, uh, mm -hmm. but certainly uh, came in there and was able to be an ally and uh, be able to assist them. So, so you were involved in in just kind of helping to coordinate. What what exactly was your role when you're in there? Well, originally I thought it was one thing, but week after week it kept evolving. Uh, and and that, mm -hmm. that goes for many people, like everything changed. Like there was, you know, from week to week, it was just a different situation on the ground all the time. And right. originally my plan was to go, I thought, you know what, I'm going to do some spreadsheets, get on a laptop, make sure that we have a good inventory of all of our food, count our number of people, make sure that, you know, people are getting fuel, make sure people are getting fed. Um, we were gathering and collecting a lot of cash on the ground. Uh, I didn't get involved in the money. It was just something I just, I had other, other priorities. Um, but trying to help people pay their bills right. was something that we were trying to do as well. And other people did a mm -hmm. great job of, of handling that. Mm -hmm. 
but that was really my first week where I was trying to look at that. But I, I recognized very, very early, I think on probably the second day that I was there, um, that we didn't have a clear, uh, I don't want to say command structure cause that was, that's a, that's a terrible phrase, but meaning is we didn't have like this chain of command, uh, kind of thing. We, we avoided that. We didn't want to have that because we recognized it was grassroots, but it makes it more difficult if, you know, we have a consensus because we formed a, a board of directors. I wasn't on the board of directors, but because of the money that was coming in, the donations, uh, the a, a group of people right. Right. created a nonprofit and they hired and paid for an accountant uh, and they had legal advice as well to make sure that, you know, their custodianship of that money was was legal and properly taken care of on behalf of Canadians. So when they created that board of directors and mm. they voted on the board of directors, they elected them, had them in. And so, but when the board was involved in a decision, uh, I, I kept myself off the board deliberately because I wanted to be an advisor to a body of people that would, it would create a natural check and mm. balance. So I'm looking at it from one perspective, but I, there was a board uh, of predominantly truckers and they need to make a unified decision about the direction that they wanted the convoy to go in through certain phases. So I just wanted to be an advisor to them. Um, so in, in the very beginning though, I realized, you know, we had a couple of major issues. Um, one, and I talk about this in the book, um, which was Wellington. I actually almost titled the book, um, Wellington morale, in media uh i got voted down yes in fact you got a chapter nobody's gonna (laughs) i do have a chapter on that i have a chapter on it it's a very to me to be honest it's one of the most important chapters to me um i think that if if ever there's one there's you know any of the chapters that's the one that sort of conveys what my thinking was you know what was driving the decisions Mm. that i was trying to to make um or recommend recommend is a better word right because i didn't make individual decisions it was always by consensus so you know an issue for me is i felt right away we needed more trucks on wellington not less um we also needed to focus hard on the morale of the truckers because i was starting to get the sense that it was starting to weaken uh, in, in the morale went sky high during the weekends when the public came, but it started to come down Sunday night and Monday. And, you know, and then the, the last thing right. was social media, not legacy media, but social media. I wanted to humanize what the experience was like for Canadians who supported the convoy through the use of social media with truck drivers in their trucks, reading letters from home and from their communities and stuff Mm. like that. Like it was important to Canadians that supported the convoy to experience it if they couldn't get there. And I thought the only way to do that was through social media provided you didn't get banned, um, you know, in live streams and things like that. So the point that I was trying to really make in that chapter was we needed priorities that everybody understood and would work towards 
even without direction, I was hoping people would use their own initiative to achieve those types of priorities. But some of it became a little bit controversial. Getting the trucks up onto Wellington became controversial, which is in later chapters. So to, to fully answer the question, each week my role evolved because in the first week, my focus really was getting as many vehicles up onto Wellington as I possibly could. And, you know, I outlined the reasons why, I won't go into too much detail, mm -hmm. but I, I outlined in the book why that was so important. But then I started to get in contact with mm -hmm. uh, other veterans, military veterans, and they were coming into the town and they wanted to help. And so I was able to get some of them. And one of them is a friend of mine um, who I knew personally. I called him and I said, hey, can you get here? I need you because you speak my language. Uh, you, you know, from a military perspective, mm -hmm. we have something called a continental system that we use and I needed somebody who understood that. And so I brought him in. And when I did that, he was able to focus on the stuff that I originally started doing, which was the day-to-day -day down and in. But when he came there, it was almost like he relieved me of mm -hmm. that, that responsibility, that pressure. And then I had a great rapport with Keith and Eva and we started to start, uh, we started to focus more on mm -hmm. strategic thinking about where can we take this? What do we need to do to get a meeting with the city? And so week by week, the role started to evolve as the police and the government started to evolve their reactions to the convoy. So in the second week, they decided to, mm -hmm. exactly a week after I got there, the Ottawa police decided to do a raid on Coventry with their public order unit. And so that changed the dynamics for the next week between, you know, the good rapport we had with the mm -hmm. police was all wasted and it took a, a full week to get that back. Uh, and I include the testimony from the Ottawa police about the devastating effect that the public order unit commander had on the police liaison officers who disagreed with them going in and doing what they did. And so there was infighting between the Ottawa police and the OPP because they disagreed. They didn't think that the, the public order unit should do that raid on Coventry. They did anyway. And so there was a fallout internally mm -hmm. with the police over that, but there was also a fallout between us and the police. So, you know, that was the second uh, week. Okay. And then we start hearing about the emergencies act and, and things are starting to change. So my role right. started to evolve right. depending on the reaction of the city. And no, I didn't mm -hmm. do secret mm -hmm. backroom deals with Jim or with uh, with Dean French and all that crap. I, I outline all that in the book. The accusations of me doing <laughs> secret deals with, with Dean yeah. French are ridiculous. I met with Dean once and I was with the majority of the board. I was with the lawyers and I was with a very mm. influential uh, person from the Peterborough area. And I met with Dean once and Dean showed up to present an offer from the mayor of Ottawa. And that's it. That's mm -hmm. my interactions mm -hmm. with Dean French. It's ridiculous to, to, yeah. <laughs> to anyway, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Let's no, I hear you. And, and this is, <laughs> yeah, no, and absolutely. And, and I tell you folks, it's extremely important for you. If you've been hearing a lot of these kinds of stories about Tom, you need to get a copy of his book so you can understand exactly what's been going on. Tom, I see our time is gone, but I, I'd like for you to just stick with us just for a little bit longer, this sure. further uh, segment. 
but I want to talk about your four horsemen of the liberal apocalypse next time. And uh, for those of you who are watching, uh, you will want to make sure that you are with us as we've learned about what the four horsemen of the liberal apocalypse is all about that Tom writes about in his book. And again, his book is a very fascinating read. I think you'll all enjoy it. Uh, it's uh, entitled The People's Emergency Act, Freedom Convoy 2022. And uh, Tom, is great to have you with us. And I'm just wondering, Tom, if you could just share one final thought for this segment um, for for those who uh, have been watching. Sure. Um, there's, there's, I, I want to touch on this idea of a lot of the rumors and misconceptions and stuff. And I want to say that... Uh, at first, I didn't want to write about any of that nonsense, but I thought that mm. the the viewers or sorry, the readers would like to really know from my perspective what really happened between right. the the meetings with this the city manager, the meetings with the city, who was involved on the convoy side, what was the understanding on our side, what were we trying to accomplish? And really to, to put that mm. stuff to rest, because it has unfortunately become a divisive thing within the freedom movement. And, you know, I didn't, I always had the intention mm. of writing about that in the book, but I just want to say, if you are curious about what has happened, go to the book and I do outline all of that information. Um, and this has been reviewed. These chapters have been reviewed by, you know, witnesses for accuracy and it's exactly how they accounted or they account for those, those meetings and discussions as well. So it's as accurate okay. as it can possibly Excellent. be. Excellent. Thank you so much, Tom. Very much appreciate it. And folks, I want to thank you uh, for being with us today as uh, we're talking with Tom Morazzo about his new book. Make sure you get a copy of it. We'll have the uh, information just in the text below this video. And you may agree or disagree with the opinions and views that are expressed on this program, uh, whether it's by me or by my guests. But on Freedom Feature, we are interested in open, honest, and transparent dialogue. And so until next time, I'm Barry Bussey. The fight for freedom consists not only in the legal battles in court, but also in the battle of ideas at the universities and in the media. It takes time, effort, and money to keep on top of the debates for freedom. Your donation allows us to keep fighting for all Canadians. Firstfreedoms.ca